0: Hey, welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. In this wildly fun episode, I got a chance to chat with Spencer Flurry. I loved interviewing him and also loved just as much his first name because it reminds me of that one kinky store at the mall. I don't know if it's still there or if any of you even go to malls or if that was just a 90s thing. I recommend checking that one out. But that doesn't matter. Spencer Fleury is a writer who has worked as a sailor, copywriter, economics professor, and so many other things. But most importantly, he is coming out with a book called How I'm Spending the Afterlife. It's a great novel, and I highly recommend it. We get pretty into Seinfeld, coffee, Gen X music, weird obsessions. It's a pretty laid back and all over the place episode, but I think you're going to love it. Get ready for some rad music talk, and I hope you enjoy the show. Can I say I timed that shit perfectly? Like, I actually ran out to a coffee shop, and I was like, 10 minutes, I can do it.
1: Nice. See, that's the great thing about living in a city.
0: Mm -hmm. But I almost was late because someone tried to Jerry Seinfeld me. Do you watch Seinfeld?
1: Uh, I did. I haven't seen it for a, a long time, but when it was on, yeah, I watched it pretty regularly.
0: The one episode when Seinfeld didn't let his neighbor into the building because he didn't know it was his neighbor. Right. I had my key out, but like the person was already walking in, so I was like, oh, okay, I'm just going to like walk in behind you. And they're like, do you live here? <laughs> and I was just like, here's my key. And they're like, what floor? I was like, of course, I swear to God, I live here. <laughs>
1: Do you want to follow me all the way up? I mean, yeah, I've I've, I've seen that, too.
0: Yeah, it was so weird. It's almost like I I overuse the word Karen, but it really is like the Karen-y kind of person.
1: Oh, for sure. We've got we've got a guy. um, I don't know if he actually lives here in this building, but I've seen him a couple of times. And he yelled at me once for not closing the garage door when I put my bike away one time even though the garage door is on like a one minute timer. So it was going to close anyway. and I had to, you know, I had to run upstairs and watch. Uh, I think it was, I was watching the World Series and I just just got home. And then I saw him again. I didn't see him for six months. I saw him again just the other day. And he was he was yelling at the uh, at, at the uh, the workers that had been hired to renovate part of the garage because apparently they didn't put a tarp over his vehicle and it's not really their job to do that, to you know, to put a, a tarp over a specific vehicle. But, yeah, this guy, to me, this guy is the epitome of the Karen mindset, um, at least in my building, at least around here.
0: What do we call a male Karen? <laughs> Are they like a Chad or...
1: I think that's probably the best one. I've seen, uh, I know that um, one of the websites out here that uh, does like local news has been trying to make Ken stick as the male equivalent. But to me, that doesn't really track. That seems more, I I still associate it with like a Ken doll. And, you know, while he's empty headed, he's not really malignant. So I don't know if that really is, is, is the proper male equivalent, but there's got to be one because this is... You know, this is a real phenomenon as people people act this way. We just we need a way to describe them that's uh that's not super sexist, I think. Yeah. So we have to we have to at least diversify the uh, you know the, the the names that we use here.
0: Definitely. I'm sorry, like immediately I was just gonna be a like, Ken, Ken can't happen, and then I was just like, Fetch, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's <laughs> not gonna happen.
1: Right. That's that's exactly the um, that's exactly the response I have every time I see this guy's stories where he, he uh, tries to make it happen.
0: <laughs> now I'm just going to be thinking of Mean Girls all day. Uh, <laughs>
1: there, there are worse things to occupy your mind.
0: Oh, God. Oh, definitely. Definitely, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I've definitely been annoying a lot of people about, like, all the TV shows and everything I've been watching. That's my pandemic life right now. Just TV. Oh, for sure. You've been watching anything good?
1: Um. Yeah. It's. It's. Let's see. We've. Um. We've been catching up on the Expanse because one of my best friends basically strong armed me into watching it. I guess he's a big sci-fi fan. Um. You know. We like Ted Lasso. It's like. It's very. Very light and airy. And Jason Sudeikis is. Uh. Is always pretty hilarious. Um. We tend to watch. A lot of the weird uh, crime-related things that Netflix just recommends for us because the algorithm kind of does know me. So you're
0: that white person.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm that white person. (laughs) (laughs) There was one we watched recently. I cannot remember the title of it, but it had something to do with uh, the the central question was: uh, Did Bigfoot commit a triple homicide in Northern California's weed country in 1992? And I mean, I'm going to have to watch that. Uh, they didn't really resolve it one way or the other. They, they made no definitive statements on the existence of or murderous tendencies of Bigfoot that I recall. But it was uh, it was, you know, an entertaining and completely stupid watch.
0: See, Netflix knows how to give it to us. I've been really into the uh, Son of Sam one where they try to convince us that there is more than one.
1: Oh, I haven't even seen that. I haven't, I haven't even heard of that one.
0: It's some convincing shit. Compelling. And then I'm just like, right, Netflix, trying to entertain me. I know it's, well, maybe I don't know. Maybe there are more than one Son of Sam. But they're all dead, other than the one that's in jail, I think.
1: Well, that's pretty convenient.
0: Yeah, right? So how the hell else yeah. are we going to know? <laughs> but yeah, how's your day so far?
1: So far, so good. Um I mean, technically, it's probably too early to tell. It's only a little after 9 o'clock in the morning out here.
0: So it could still um, go to shit.
1: Oh, it's still, it still could. It's, they, they often do after 9 o'clock in the morning. How's yours?
0: Well, it's 11 o'clock here. I woke up at 6 a.m. and, yeah, not much really going on here other than just working on book publishing and stuff.
1: Nice, very nice.
0: I'm a pretty boring person in real life.
1: <laughs> well, then this will make for a great podcast with uh, two boring people talking about Seinfeld.
0: I'm always shocked. Okay, that is a show about nothing, just kind of how is. the podcast is really more about nothing than music <laughs> and literature.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was kind of getting that vibe listening to uh, listening to some of the uh, the archive episodes, I guess.
0: Yeah, we definitely get literature and music in here somehow, but like, I don't know, we get thrown into some like really weird tangents. It's the same thing. I have another podcast called that horror cast. We hit the horror movies, but somehow we always end up just talking about our day.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's, I, I find the, I find that to be very interesting listening. You know, I, I think if you're sticking too closely to whatever topic you've agreed the show is supposed to be about, you yeah, know, it gets formulaic. It gets a little—I don't know—salesy, a little promotiony, and nobody really wants to listen to that. This is much more interesting.
0: Yeah, it gets very Q and A, and it's like, eh, like I did it. I want to say in like the first couple episodes where I wrote down questions that I was like, these are lame as fuck, and people's responses <laughs> are so boring because they're like, yes, I have this exact premeditated response. And it's like, nah. oh yeah. But, oh, yeah, know. when I was
1: when I was in, sorry, go nope, ahead, go on. <laughs> I was going to say when I was in college, um, I, I did, you know, journalism for a couple of you. student paper back when these things were actually printed on paper. Um, and that's exactly I, that's exactly how I would do the interviews with these, you know, these um, comedians or uh, musicians I'd never heard of who came to town because I was writing for the arts section. And it's, you know, it was it was just an easy way you know, using that approach of writing down these predictable, lame questions. It's an easy way to get the predictable, lame answers that, you know, you need to write the predictable story that people um, want to read. And that is you know basically just designed to serve as a promotional vehicle for whatever artist you're talking to. And it gets to be, you know, it gets to be kind of a crutch, but sometimes when you um, You know, it's like 5.45 on a Friday and the bar is calling. Sometimes you need that.
0: Exactly. I feel you. For me, I don't know. It's like it feels like you're reading the same article over and over and over because everyone has the same Q&A shit. And also like with podcasts too. I've been listening to a few of like people that just had book releases and I'm just like someone, someone come out with some unique question or just talk. I want to know what this writer is like like in real life, you know? For sure. I'm not trying to go all like Elon Musk and be like, hey, let's smoke weed together, but...
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, smoke them if you got them. I'm not going to complain.
0: You're going to smoke while listening to some Steely Dan? <laughs> I mean, that's,
1: you know, that's as good a time as any.
0: Mm. Growing up, I had a neighbor who totally would do that. He would listen to Dad Rock in his garage and uh just kind of hang out on a lawn chair and smoke weed.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> oh, that's yeah. why I have
0: that like weird negative connotation when it comes to Steely Dan cuz I was like, oh my god, that neighbor was so annoying.
1: Oh, I don't I mean, I don't blame you. I uh, growing up, I I couldn't stand them. When I was when I was in high school, when I was in college, they just were like the epitome of uh, to me what rock shouldn't be. You know, it seemed like it was uh it, it seemed too cerebral or too polished or whatever. And then, for whatever reason, um, you know, a, a guy that I that I knew after college uh, popped in like one of the uh, the Steely Dan greatest hits CDs, and I was listening to it along with him, and I just had this epiphany that oh my god. I fucking like Steely Dan, and it took me a few days to come to terms with that. But once I did, it was fine. I mean, I, I've got um, like I have their uh, their Bach. Sets their box CD collection that uh, I got this like twenty years ago, and it's everything that they recorded uh, before breaking up the first time in, in nineteen eighty. I don't know if they broke up a second time. I know one of them's dead, so I guess that counts as a breakup. Um, <laughs>
0: you think? But
1: yeah, you would think. You would think. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's got everything that they that they recorded up to that point, and yeah I just I really got into that in my you know in my 20s and it's just stuck with me and I don't I don't know why I don't explain it. I never try to convince people of the merits of Steely Dan because it's a losing battle. And I don't want to be that guy who's just like, no, no, you've got, you've got to listen to, you've got to really listen to it, man. you got to really open your mind and, and really take in all the, the pithy nuances of what they're doing. Nobody wants to hear that guy and I don't want to yeah. be that guy. So I'm not going to do it. I will just say, yeah, I love Steely Dan and It's cool if you don't. I'm not going to be mad about that.
0: (laughs) It was so funny because one of the podcasts, um, one of the writers was really, really into Steely Dan because they're defining Steely Dan as like yacht rock. I'm still not totally sure what yacht rock is compared to dad rock. But um, they were saying that Steely Dan is one of the more polarizing bands that you could divide the world into people who like Steely Dan and people who hate Steely Dan.
1: I completely agree with that. I do not agree with putting them in the yacht rock category.
0: What is yacht rock?
1: Again, what is any genre? I mean, but yeah, you know, it's it's. Are I, we I've always get philosophical
0: cons- this early in the morning.
1: You know, I I haven't had enough coffee to do that. So I think that was the extent of my uh, my philosophy um, ex- exploration here. But um, yeah, for me, yacht rock has always been much more um like it's it's got to it's got to be rooted in the 70s uh so preferably you know recorded late mid to late 70s uh maybe as late as 1981 it's got to have a very close tie to the the um the pop chart music of the day so You know, maybe disco influenced, maybe that Bakersfield sound influence from, uh, you know, from country back then. But it's it it can't be I I think Steely Dan jumps uh, out of the Yacht Rock category because their arrangements are way more complex than anything Toto or Leo Sayer uh, ever did. Um Mm -hmm. And, you know, lyrically, what the hell are they even talking about? With Yacht Rock, it's not it's not supposed to challenge you or be, you know, be more clever than you are. It's just supposed to be the kind of music you have on, you know, you have on when you're out on your boat um, and uh, you've got those you're wearing that silly white captain's hat. Um, Probably not ironically, even though you should be wearing it ironically. But if you're listening to Yacht Rock on a yacht with that hat, it's probably not ironic. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I, I look at it, and I don't think Steely Dan fits.
0: Yeah. My brother has it on a playlist. He is that bougie guy. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll put him in that camp. Okay. But I'm not sure he's so great at genres, though. He's really into metal, but he's not that great into, like, defining what's metal and what's not. Sure. So... Yeah, some people suck at genres and subgenres. It's weird though the amount of people who go like from like say metal, punk rock and everything then into like easy listening and everything later in their life. What's that about?
1: You know, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've wondered that myself. Uh it, yeah, in high school that's exactly who I was. I was I was a headbanger for sure. Um and yeah, after, you know, after um getting older uh I, yeah I've, I've kind of made that journey all the way to steely dan i haven't quite gone full-on easy listening like i don't have any lawrence welk records uh in my in my collection but i do have some of that uh i do have some like uh, Esquivel and some of that ridiculous uh 50s early 60s lounge music stuff uh it's it's you know i, I think that's hilarious to play when you've got guests over um that's you know that's just me I guess. Um,
0: don't worry, yeah, I have a I... weird hype music playlist that I play when people are over, it and it's the weirdest all over the place thing. So yeah.
1: Oh yeah, what's what's on it?
0: Oh my god, I even have SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> music on it. I have the intro to The Office. Then I have Hannah Montana, but don't worry. Then I suddenly get into Toto and Weezer and shit like that. Like nice. It's everywhere. <laughs> Has a song. Yeah, I'm I like a it. Boat like that oh
1: perfect perfect see that's again not quite yacht rock even though it's about being on a yacht it's a little too self-referential for yacht rock
0: it's so would you would you call it hipster
1: um it might have been at one time but um i I would definitely call it very meta but it uh, is very
0: meta yeah yeah
1: i don't know hipster is harder to define than music genres for me
0: Oh my God, same, same. Because a lot of people call me a hipster, and I'm just like, please me tell too. me what that means. Like, I just, <laughs> I'd like to know what you're calling me.
1: <laughs> yeah, same here. I mean, I wear hats a lot, um, but that's, I don't know. I've been told that I've been told that kind of makes me a hipster, and I will, I will concede to possibly having hipster tendencies in my wardrobe. But um, I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't really think. I'm a hipster, but that's again because I don't really know what it means anymore. I think it's just—I think it's just a catch-all phrase for uh, younger people who like things that I don't understand.
0: I really think that too. But the thing is, I think Gen Z is like one upped us on that.
1: <sighs> yeah, I, yeah so I don't understand them at all. <laughs> yep. I watched
0: like a couple Gen Z kids last night try and hit on each other. It was really weird and awkward, and reminded <laughs> me of high school in a way that I didn't like. Oh, man. Yeah, I was just like, I really want a milkshake. I'm going to go to, like, the ice cream place. And there they were, like, a couple, like, 15-, 16-year-olds, like, fanning over each other. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God.
1: That was awkward enough to watch when I was one of those 15- or 16-year-olds. I can't even... Yeah, I, I would have I would have had to just uh, go find someplace else.
0: I seriously wanted to be someplace else because I almost wanted to be like, hey these people you're obsessing about right now you're gonna forget their names in 10 years (laughs) like you have you're gonna have no idea who this person was yeah none of
1: this matters
0: that might be almost like nihilistic for me to say but like I was thinking about it in that nostalgic way because I was discreetly taking a picture of them so my boyfriend can see because he was at home (laughs) because I wanted to show him because he was just like what does it look like when they like hit on each other and like they seriously like one was flexing the other one was showing off his cool hair and I was just like this is the most (laughs) awkward like mating ritual I've ever seen.
1: Oh my God. That's that's just yeah that's very cringe as as the kids said at one point. Maybe they still do. I don't know. They still say
0: cringe cringe as fuck. That's what they do or cringe AF. Yes.
1: and I mean you know as a Gen Xer, you know, when, when we were doing that, it was, it, we basically went out of our way to pretend we weren't interested. We weren't flex. We sure as hell weren't flexing and, and you know, showing off our hair to each other. That, that, just, that just wasn't how it worked.
0: Were you showing off, like, what, your mad skateboarding skills or something, like, in Clueless?
1: I had no skateboarding <laughs> skills whatsoever.
0: <laughs> as a millennial, that's, like, one of my few understandings of what Gen X was like. That, and I have Gen X siblings
1: yeah, no, there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of skateboarders. But um, I remember the high school years as being very clickified along those exact lines, like the skaters all hung out only with the skaters, you know, the the the, the metal heads, That's we all hung out together. Um, the National Honor Society kids, nobody cared what they did, but um, <laughs> they all they all hung out together. And so yeah we had a lot of skaters but you know as a headbanger i even if i could skateboard i probably would not have been um permitted to do so without getting some uh, disapproving looks from uh, from the peer group
0: because like looking at the playlist you sent me that feels like skateboarder music like at least oh, the stuff, sure. yeah like with the weezer and foo fighters and stuff like that's the kind of stuff i'd imagine someone like playing on their stereo while skating
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that actually that playlist I sent you comes from uh, comes from a different period uh, in my life, Um, you know, after I kind of started to get out of uh, of being just a soul genre listener, you know, after I started to diversify away from metal and uh, um, get into more what I guess what they called alternative uh, college radio back then. But yeah, that was actually a playlist that I used while I was writing uh, the novel that I just finished uh, back in February or March, um, because it was set back in that same time period and it's based on things that uh, I saw or that kind of happened to me, Uh, so. I was trying to put myself back into that uh, into that time frame, and I, I actually grew to love a lot of that playlist uh, more than than I ever really did before. Um, although there are some songs on there that I didn't like when I put on the playlist, and I still don't like, but they helped they helped me get the job done, so they stayed.
0: Which ones?
1: Oh, "Runaway Train," "Far and Away" is
0: the. Oh, thank <laughs> God! Because I was looking, I was like, that that one doesn't fit in my mind, but. <laughs>
1: No, it it doesn't. But it was like all over the radio at that time. So that that one is one of them. Um, oh, let me see that 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 blues traveler song. I'm sick to death of. of I liked it when it was new uh, in '94 or whatever. But yeah, in the uh, ensuing years, it has just uh, it's just worn worn on me like um, yeah, really really badly. <laughs> so yeah, that's on there. I will cop to liking the um the two ace of base songs that i put on there i will i will admit that that's uh, you know i i can't help it they're catchy
0: i would say there's a the kind of music that gets stuck in your head you can't help it it's their fault not yours
1: i agree i agree swedes are good at that i think they're swedish i think there's something like that
0: damn couldn't tell you <laughs> <laughs> i'm a millennial i only know so much
1: Fair enough. I've, I've started to forget a lot of things. So I guess we're kind of in the same boat.
0: <laughs> kind of. I'm actually kind of like willingly, like willfully like repressing shit. Because we had really bad like sense of fashion and music and everything in our high school years. It was very corporate and it was just really bad.
1: Sure, sure. I mean,
0: I'm sure at one point you looked down at the teenagers, us teenagers, and we're like, what the fuck are they doing?
1: I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's every generation, but, uh, yeah, it was, it, it, that was when, that was when I realized that, yeah, my parents were right. And one day I would be the old person and, and everybody would make fun of me instead of, you know, the opposite direction when I was always making fun of them. Um,
0: yeah, hey, that's my turn right now. That's what's yeah. happening with me. <laughs> Someone said, it's a- okay, boomer to me. And I was like, bitch, I'm 30. Oh,
1: shit. <laughs> Oh, man.
0: (laughs) Wait till that happens to you. You'll feel like shit.
1: (laughs) Oh, I have. um, Yeah, I have actually been very conscious of avoiding that. I, You know, I I try to be very aware of what I'm saying to people I don't know or know very well just because, yeah, that would that would wreck me, I think. (laughs) It would stick with me all day.
0: And it, I'm still traumatized. It was by my own niece, and she took it back later. She's like, "I was just joking," and I was just like, "That was still so hurtful."
1: Oh man, yeah, from family, no less. That's that's a deep cut.
0: Yeah, it's an a assault. Wound. Yeah, but no, you should tell us what the actual book is about so we can understand the music more.
1: Well, sure. I mean, that's not that's not the the same book that I have coming out uh, next month. Uh, the book th- the book that um, I finished in February. That is actually based on the two years I spent on a Coast Guard cutter uh, right out of college. Because um, when I graduated from uh, from college, the job market sucked. I had no money, and my parents uh, basically told me, "You've got about six weeks before we just throw your ass out." Uh, so you know, it was it's it's it was fine. My parents are very big into. Um, having raised independent children. uh, And, you know, I I think that that for the most part, they were pretty successful on that. But yeah, so there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of uh, leeway for me. I had a lot of friends who were still in school. So it's not like I could, you know, go live with them necessarily necessarily. And I figured, you know, this, this the Coast Guard would be fine. its It's got boats. I'll get to see the country at least. Um, it's like by far the least military of any of the military <laughs> branches. And I did some research and, uh, you know, I found that they had the highest ASVAB scores on average. So I thought, OK, well, at least, you know, I won't be surrounded by dumbasses, which turned out you know not to be necessarily true there were actually a significant number of dumbasses, but also a lot of smart people too so i did that and it turns out instead of getting to see uh you know see the country or or whatever i ended up spending most of those four years in massachusetts um and the first two years were on a ship uh we did a lot of uh, we did a lot of uh uh, we did a lot of work in the Caribbean for some reason. We would just steam all the way down there and, uh, and and work that. So for a long time, I'd been thinking about writing a novel about that experience. And, you know, I just, I couldn't quite figure out what the angle was. I had this, uh, this vision of the first scene in my head, which was, uh, which was, like essentially a dead body on the beach of a very small island. And with with no indication of how this could have possibly happened, you know, no footprints or anything like that. And the book is not a mystery novel. The the question of who killed this guy is not central to anything. It's just the the uh, inciting incident. It's really more of a, uh, I guess, of a coming of age story of the main character um, who doesn't want to be there that much, who doesn't fit in and um, has you know has a yeah has a a very difficult time making things easier on himself so in a lot of ways yeah he's like me so hey
0: that's how all writers are we all yeah it's not auto fiction but you kind of like there's parts of yourself you can't help it you're sprinkling a little bit in
1: yeah yeah absolutely and I, i i think that I think that, you know, any fiction is going to be based at least somewhat on some aspect of the writer's, you know, experience in life. It's just, you know, an extent the question is, to what extent?
0: As a writer, I can say that's a very frustrating thing that people almost always assume that, like, it's all about you. I've had people like reading through my stuff and being like, which character am I? And it's just like, (laughs) how dare you presume that you like are in my book?
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, and I, I, I've heard a, you know, I've heard a lot of people complain about that, and it's, yeah, it's, it happens to me. But for me, it's, it's generally like, yeah, okay, I'm in this story somewhere. Um, but I get the sense that that happens to women a lot more than it happens to, uh, to men as writers.
0: They like to think that we only know how to write about our feelings and everything, like in a diary. I think.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah.
0: But no, they don't like to imagine that we have vivid imaginations and sometimes act out scenes and talk to ourselves and figure it out. Or maybe I'm a crazy writer. I don't know.
1: <laughs> oh, no, I do that all the time. I'll, I'll, I mean, I will be on the bus and I will, have to, I will have to consciously stop myself from just speaking aloud the dialogue that I'm trying to compose in my head for when I get to you know wherever it is I'm going so I can finally write it down. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not, it's not just you and it's taken me a few years to really build up that level of, uh, of, of situational awareness and self-awareness and combine that into, um, into kind of a, a practice of try not to look like a freak in public when you're just basically thinking about your work.
0: See, for me, I have not mastered that yet because I'm almost always listening to headphones too, which is basically like providing the backdrop to like the soundtrack, of my own movie and my main character moments. And I'll Mm -hmm. just suddenly like realize a line and just say it out loud. And I look like the crazy person then (laughs) on the train.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you've, uh, yeah, over in Chicago, I'm pretty sure you've got the same, uh, the same quota, I guess of, uh, crazy people on trains that we have here in San Francisco.
0: Oh God. I, I love San Francisco. I haven't been there since 2011. How is it there?
1: Uh, it's it's lovely. Um, it's it's a warm day today. I am closed off in this in this bedroom, windows shut, everything doors shut, because it's the only way I can get even remotely decent sound. Because uh, you know we, we live uh, in a fairly noisy area, but uh, yeah, it's 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 really nice. Things have uh, opened back up a bit. Um, it's Yeah, it's the same great city that it's been since I've lived here, which has only been for about uh, seven years or so.
0: Okay, so that's not bad. I mean, yeah. I would say you moved there right when the big tech boom happened, right?
1: Um, I think it was already kind of, un- I think it was already underway. I, I left Florida in 2014 uh, to come out here, and
0: okay, uh, yeah, I was I've been, I,
1: yeah, I'd been only I'd been trying to do that for a couple of years, and the only reason I was finally able to make it work was because um, uh, an old friend of mine from high school, who I'd reconnected with, this is the only good thing to ever come out of going to a high school reunion. Oh, is I reconnected with this guy, and he didn't even actually go to the same high school I did. He just showed up to the reunion, and he was, you know, he told me, "Oh yeah, I live in San Francisco now. Oh yeah, that's that's where I want to be." So eventually. Um, he had uh, he had an opening for a writer because he was he was working for a tech company and uh, doing like, I don't know, content, uh, whatever it is. But he had an opening for a writer. So he hired me and I got to move out here. And that was that was the thing. It's You know, a lot of people are here in San Francisco because of their jobs in tech. I took a job in tech just so I could move to San Francisco. I have no real love for the field, I have to admit.
0: It is one of those things where it's like. If you could even afford to live in San Francisco, that's basically the kind of field you have to be in.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I always wonder how, like, places like smaller businesses and, like, Chinatown and everything are able to stay open with, like, the, like, skyrocket rent and everything.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've wondered that myself. There, there's, I mean, there are stores, uh, like, storefronts. Th- that are, you know, there, there are a few record stores here and there where they're only open for about 10 hours a week. And I, I, I can't imagine that the revenue they bring in from those 10 hours justifies the, the rent that they have to pay on the space. So I have no idea how these places are, uh, you know, are making it work.
0: Those have got to be like owned by like people that already have money or something. Or they either that or they're up front. Ooh, that yeah. Too. You could write a book about that I'd read it
1: I might indeed i've got I've got a whole list going of uh, ideas that I hope to write one of these days
0: I just love that you said that you went to a high school reunion see so that's something that ended with Gen X millennials we just have Facebook
1: yeah, exactly yeah it was um i actually yeah I actually went to two of them um And I don't know why I did either. the first one was what was definitely before uh, Facebook was a thing. And the second one, Facebook had been around for a few years, but was not the um, the the behemoth that it eventually became. Um, So, I mean, like we we had the first the only thing we really had was that uh, classmates.com. That was like the only thing that you could uh, the only way you could stalk somebody from high school is using (laughs) that site instead of Facebook. But yeah, I went to these things. Um, I was shocked, especially the first—the uh, f- the first one. I was absolutely shocked at how quickly those old clicks just reformed. I mean, it—it had. It, and like it, it, it was like we had just been away for a summer vacation. Every, everything was exactly the same. So I didn't stay very long at that one. And I don't remember the exact reason I went to the second one. I think somebody talked me into it um, and they, they said, well, you know, the first one is always the worst because the word you know, everyone comes to that. It's the second one that, uh, you know, is, is uh, it, I don't know. The argument was not really super convincing, but I went anyway. And I'm glad I did because, you know, otherwise, I don't, I don't know. It would have taken me a lot longer to get out here. And, uh, yeah, I love living out here.
0: What really goes on at high school reunions? My only understanding is from anecdotes I've heard my siblings say and from the American Pie movie, uh, American <laughs> Reunion.
1: Yeah, um, the ones I went to, nothing very interesting happened. There was a lot of drinking. Uh, the first one was set up like, um, do they
0: like do a like big the throwback music and themes. Oh and shit, yeah, or?
1: they did the they did the throwback music for sure. There weren't really themes, but yeah, the first one I went to was set up kind of like uh, the reception at a big wedding. You know, everyone the, the the tables of eight were all in, the, in this big ballroom. And it was, so it was, it was boring for me. I'm sure that, you know, the cooler kids went off to the after party somewhere and, you know, didn't tell me about it, which was fine. I was just over the whole experience. And then, yeah, the second one, as I said, it was a lot smaller and nothing really happened there either, except, yeah, it was, it was, it was a a lot of drinking. That's basically what we did.
0: (laughs) I always imagine that at every high school reunion, there's one person who makes like an asshole out of themselves for, like, drinking too much? Does that happen? Or Okay, maybe it was just my sister. She got kicked out of her high school reunion.
1: (laughs) No, that uh, well, nobody got kicked out, but, yeah, there were definitely a couple of really, really obnoxiously drunk assholes for that first one. Uh, I don't think that happened the second time around, but, you know, we were older at that point, so we learned to handle our liquor.
0: It's fucked up. It was her second high school reunion, too. <laughs> i wouldn't say it was like the 20 year one
1: um well i got i got a notice a um a couple years back for like another one of these stupid things and there's no way in hell i was going to fly all the way back to florida for that in the first place but i just i i kept reading the description of it and i guess it was going to be at some beach bar and they were gonna have they were gonna do like beach volleyball or or some some shit like that and you know, I didn't want to play those things with these people when I was good at playing beach volleyball <laughs> when I was a kid. I'm not. I absolutely have no interest in, in reconnecting with uh, with a lot of that now.
0: It's hard for me to imagine, like, say, like a group of Gen X. I, I'm saying like 40 year olds and everything, like playing beach volleyball. The image of it is not that great in my mind.
1: <laughs> it's I I. I don't disagree. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't. I'm. I'm trying to picture it. I. It's. It's. It's not pretty.
0: Especially um, if you throw alcohol into the mix and old clicks and everything, it feels like it would get weird really fast.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in my mind, they're all dressed like extras in a Miami Vice episode. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know if that's how it really played out.
0: See, Miami Vice is before my time, but. I only know it from like reruns, and also the way that Hopper dresses in Stranger Things.
1: Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> which I hear is the millennial version of Gen X.
1: Yeah, I think that makes I think that makes sense. Um, I, yeah, because I've I've watched uh, I've watched it I've watched the whole thing so far, uh, and I, I do dig it. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny because there are a lot of. Uh, a lot of shows that I guess are created and written by millennials or, you know, I guess even Gen Z. I don't really know where that age group breaks down, so I don't know when they're going to be in the job market or if they are or any of that. But I've noticed that um, from time to time in, in period pieces that take place before millennials were a thing, you know, they do sometimes get bits of the dialogue Wrong, like uh, I remember in Mad Men, for example, they keep talking about uh, payphones, but nobody called it a payphone back then. It was a phone booth. So yeah. you know, it, yeah. So it's it's just these these little glitches that, as an old person, you know, I, I pick up on. I know I know there were a couple of those in Stranger Things, and I cannot uh, remember what they what they were. I think I think one of them was how um, how characters will. Often, you know, when they're like in lecturing mode and they'll say, well, you need to do this or that. The other thing it's, it's it was weird because that that construction that you need to instead of you have to. I remember that coming about much later, like in the 90s. So I could be wrong about this, but that's that's when I first started to notice it. So when I hear it used um, like on a show like Stranger Things. To me, it just to me it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this 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 wasn't written by, by my peers. And you know, that's fine. We're 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 old and and entertainment is a uh, is a young person's industry, so of course it's not gonna be us anymore. You've seen the way
0: I watch Mad Men now. <laughs> <laughs> what else is fucked up?
1: Well, see, once I noticed that, I started doing some Googling, and apparently there's some guy who wrote an entire uh, academic research paper on exactly that in Mad Men and he like really? counted up all of these things. So there's, there, yeah, there's a bunch of them, but I mean, you know, I, I most people, to most people, they're not going to, sh- they're not going to register. Um, I, th- I think that, you know, as a writer, uh, I'm, I'm attuned to that a bit more than, uh, normal people would be. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, not like it's, it's not like it's a critique on my part. It's just something that, that I notice that uh, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. I, I know something about the person who wrote this script.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mad Men was and still is one of my favorite shows. There are a lot of, like, time period issues I have and also just weird habits they have in that show that always bother me. Like when they are on the phone, no one ever says goodbye. They just hang up.
1: Yeah, like, yeah. Was that that's a thing
0: they just did then, or
1: I don't know. I've I have never seen people just do that in real life. I you mean, know, but just it's it's drop it's, the
0: call and be like, I guess this conversation's over.
1: Yeah, I, I I've seen it on TV. You know, since I don't know for a long time, it, it's been a TV trope. I think for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and it always struck me as extremely rude. I kept thinking, well, if you know, if I'm the if I'm the person on the other end of that call, I'm. I'm still there, but hello, hello. Oh, I guess, I guess he hung up. And, yes, yeah, so it, it, I don't know. I guess, you know, when you're writing a script for TV, you want to make sure it's as tight as you can get it, and cutting out good manners is one way to get that. I
0: suppose so. God, I'm going to watch that show now later. <laughs> no, I, I always love Mad Men, because it's actually really good, in my opinion, of showing, like, how... That like time really progressed and everything. My favorite character is Peggy. Oh, she's she is, the best. Like, the prototypical feminist, and I also have a theory that she's the dark horse um, protagonist of the entire series.
1: I would agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that.
0: Because the entire series, the first episode starts on her first day, not anyone else's, and then we just kind of follow her career, sort of.
1: Yeah, and her career, you know, we, her career goes through. Much more growth and change than uh, than Don's does. Who is you know obviously the uh, the generally accepted protagonist of the show, but
0: um, he's yeah. static. You know, he's yeah, always he's saying that same way. He's stuck in his own time.
1: He he is. I mean that that that's perfectly summed up by that one scene that uh, ended one of the later seasons when his second wife brought home um, revolver by the Beatles and told him to play it and he put it on tomorrow never knows and he listens to it he's got this look on his face and then he just pulls the needle off the record uh, like halfway through uh, i mean i was expecting him to just put on a Sinatra record right there and just kind of uh, retreat back into you know what was comfortable for him but yeah that's, that's an excellent that's an excellent point he's absolutely static
0: the oddest thing i would say about don is that he always kept up on his literature I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah. He was always reading. Like, he was doing meditations in an emergency. He was reading Kerouac. Just always kind of, like, reading new shit. It's very strange.
1: Wow, I can't believe I missed that.
0: Yeah. It's like everything else with him stayed the same, but he's like, I'm going to keep in the know with this, but nothing Mm -hmm. else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Never
0: lost his weird fedora hat. (laughs) <laughs> I was waiting for that shit to go, but no. Only Roger was the only older character who really got with the times.
1: Yeah, he was He he was a tough one to like a lot of the time, but he was never boring.
0: I loved his LSD situations. Those oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, those were pretty great.
0: <laughs> like, he, he really progressed as the story went on. He was a total douchebag in the first couple seasons, but... I feel like Don was a douchebag the entire series, so.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. I would agree. Um, Yeah, like Pete Campbell is another one. I never really got a handle on how I feel about that character just because he was so horrible early on. And he did change, but I was never really able to determine if it was really for the better or if it was just another version of douchebag.
0: There are a few situations that were, like, questionable with him, and I couldn't tell if they were indeed rape or just yeah. really, yeah. They, they were never very black and white with that.
1: I always read it as rape.
0: I did, too, but then I was just like, are they insinuating? Is he just being creepy, pervy, or did this actually happen?
1: Well, yeah, good point,
0: good point. But yeah, he seems rapey. <laughs> He was so redemptive at the end, though. And I was just like, "Mother fuck," I hated him.
1: Yeah, and, but that's the thing. I wasn't really sure if I believed it. I, you know, I, 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 don't know. Maybe, maybe I was just so soured on him from the first season. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know.
0: I like that. It, like him and Peggy kind of like came to peace with each other.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's that's true.
0: That was like one of my few things I enjoyed, and also that he did eventually become the family guy. Like he came around.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess maybe I need to rewatch the series. That would just be a damn shame.
0: Oh my god! I, will I had send to go you back an entire and... like YouTube thing that like analyzes each character one by one. It's pretty fun. Oh please
1: do, please do. I I love rabbit holes like that. <laughs>
0: But outside of that rabbit hole let's go back to literature and music shall we let's do yeah, so, what have you been listening to lately
1: um, well lately let's see i've uh, I've started work on another on another novel um, and that the part of that process is developing the playlist. this is also um some i'm drawing on something from my past although not nearly as uh, as literally it's actually about um it's actually about uh indoor soccer um and i you know i played that when i was younger but uh it, so it's kind of it's it, it's just kind of drawn on on i don't know certain uh, certain things and i've started the playlist but all i can all i've got so far is um the album that i used to listen to when i was trying to get myself you know pumped up for the for the game you know which was um, uh, wreckage by overseer it was just that that big beat electronica stuff which i don't generally go for but there was just something very aggressive about that so i've been listening to that while i've been writing um, lately um, let's see beyond that i've been uh, i've and been listening do you make to
0: like specific playlists for you to listen to while writing or just Yeah
1: I I will I will accumulate that, uh, you know, a, a complete playlist over some time um, like that's the one that I sent you was for the uh, was was the writing playlist for the the Coast Guard book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this it, it sometimes will take a little time just to kind of get me back just, just to find the songs that will get me back in that proper headspace. So that's you know, that's the uh, that's the first the first section of that playlist. I have been listening to some uh, some Thundercat lately. Uh, we we actually just got to see him, our first concert back from the uh, from the pandemic. He was up here the other week.
0: That's and that lit. was pretty
1: great. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was um I mean it It was at the Stern Grove Festival, which and festival is kind of a misnomer because it's actually like a series of of afternoon outdoor concerts in this uh, this amphitheater in the southwestern part of the city. And they're they're free. So it's it's, you know, it's there's always a mad rush to get tickets and and seats. But um, so, yeah, it was it was a little bit of a of a different environment from what I think he'd really be great in but it was still uh, it was still an excellent show i i I loved it it was very a lot of um a lot of improvisational stuff a lot of very uh, contemporary jazz type stuff, and he did play a few a few songs from Drunk, which is uh, probably my favorite album of his so far. I haven't I haven't developed the same love for his latest one, but uh, Drunk was like one of my my pandemic spins that I just listened to almost every day while I couldn't leave the apartment.
0: I found that the pandemic actually like I started listening to music that I didn't typically listen to. Like I got more yeah, of the like pop what? music out of nowhere. Like I got really into the weekend and shit.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: And like Doja Cat and shit. Like it, it was weird. <laughs> it's because of TikTok. I blame TikTok.
1: Tik TikTok is a good villain. They're, they're they're good they're good to blame for, you know, pretty much whatever.
0: Exactly, and you get lost in the black hole, and no new content was coming on. So it's like I guess I'll see what the teenagers are doing. I hate that like millennials, like my age range, tried to actually like, well, we are trying to make content on it. And I was like, no, let them have it. We could just watch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, it's really for them. And that's, that's exactly it. I have a friend who is a little bit older than me. I think she's about the same age as me, but she's really, she's really big into TikTok curation. So that, that's what she does with our group chat is um, uh, she'll just, post a lot of TikTok videos in there. So I'm kind of like kept aware of what is happening on TikTok without having to actually visit TikTok, which I think for somebody my age is appropriate. Don't visit TikTok. <laughs> but that's, you know.
0: It's actually very interesting if you're not into TikTok, but there it's almost like there're different TikToks for everybody because it goes off of an algorithm based on how long you hover off of a video or how quickly you swipe up so like right now i'm on cat tiktok and millennial tiktok but they are different like (laughs) variations like right now like i think my niece was like saying that she's on serial killer tiktok and i was like all right how do we get onto that one (laughs) like i'd like to swipe through those (laughs) but yeah it all just kind of hovers around like what you're actually like watching longer
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I know my my wife uh, explores TikTok a little bit from time to time, but I don't I don't know what uh, TikToks have have uh, have claimed her uh, because, you know, she just she'll she'll share a video with me every so often. But that's again, she's a little younger than me. So it's uh, it's 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 something she probably feels more comfortable with than I do.
0: Yeah. I mean, we all have our comfort zones, but yeah. Yeah, I, I have seen suddenly, I read an article, I can't remember where it was, that Gen X is starting to get on TikTok. And I was like, wow, that's like a whole other age range.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't say I approve of that.
0: Yeah, because like I feel like that's for the teenagers. I know you're not supposed to be um, under the age of 16 to be on it. Obviously, everyone knows that's not being enforced. Like, right. Same with porn and everything back when we were younger. Just lie about your age. The computer can't yeah. tell.
1: <laughs> it's not it's like it's honor checking system. your ID. Right. I mean, yeah, we does. all know the honor system works so well.
0: Of course, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> See, you actually grew up in a really cool honor system day, like when I think you guys were allowed to get away with a lot more than like our generation was.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think you're probably right. All we had to do is basically leave the house and that was it. You know, there was there was very little anybody could do to check our behavior until after the fact. Um, yeah, you know, my uh, my parents, they, um, you know, they had rules. They were not strict, I wouldn't say, but they were rigid in certain ways. And I learned very early on that the easiest thing to do is just pretend to go along and then do what I want to do when they're not looking. And that was easy enough to do back then, Um, you know, before before we uh, started carrying around these little surveillance devices in our pockets and and all of that. But, yeah, I've often wondered about the difference in childhoods between like my generation and yours in terms of uh, that, that level of freedom, that level of, uh, of just ability to explore the world, which I, which I found to be one of the few things about that time of my life that I really appreciated, even at the time.
0: See, that's the thing I always like about watching say stranger things, or if you go back to actually legit things like stand by me every Mm -hmm. now and then I'm just like, where the fuck do the parents think they are? Like where are their parents? What are they doing? Like after like two hours, my mom would be like, "Where the fuck is she?"
1: Right, right. No, I mean, mine were even when I was even like when I was really young, younger, like ten or even younger than that. My parents' rule, especially in the summertime, was you know when it gets dark, that's when you come home. So okay, <laughs> I, I can I can handle that. Um, but yeah, it just uh, the the whole the whole concept of parents always knowing where their kids are to me was, was just a very foreign thing
0: for my family. See as a millennial, we're like the bridge generation. So we grew up without the cell phones and then they were slowly like thrown into our lives. But as a yeah. kid, it was the shout system. If my mom wanted us to come in, if we were not close enough where she mm-hmm. couldn't shout for us to come in, then we had already gone too far.
1: Oh, okay. That yeah. makes sense.
0: Other than that, though, yeah, like, that's not we've too different. Done douchebag things, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we were able I to mean, do it without uh, them noticing too. So,
1: yeah, and that was—I mean—that was always key, you know. That's that we and, and we Gen Xers, we all learned that skill of just, um, you know, don't uh, just don't go don't go into detail about what you've. Uh, about the lie that you've made up about where you've been for the last four hours. Just, you know, one sentence will do anything more than that. They'll get suspicious and they'll start asking questions. So, you know, we, we, we mastered that skill pretty early on.
0: See, that's the one good thing about me being the youngest out of five kids is I feel like my parents give a little less of a fuck about me because they are. Oh, yeah, more that others. was they're like, eh. that was exactly it. She'll figure it out. She, she's alive. <laughs>
1: That was totally it in my family, too, because I'm the, I'm the older of the, uh, of the two children, and my brother definitely got away with a lot more. I was like the, the guinea pig. And, I mean, they explicitly told me that later on. Oh, yeah, we just tried all this stuff on you, and uh, then we knew what worked for your brother. I'm like, great, that, that's, that's lovely. That, that, that helps me how, exactly. But yeah.
0: <laughs> Apparently, my parents learned that nothing works. On any kids. <laughs> so they were like, just try, try and behave.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's the other thing, because, you know, I, I don't know if my parents actually drew the proper lesson about what works and what doesn't work, or if they just drew the lesson that uh, I showed them through, you know, my attempts to deceive them, <laughs> which I always felt were pretty successful. But I'm sure if you ask them, they would claim that they knew everything I was up to. And they probably did know more than I thought they did, but I doubt they knew everything.
0: See, that's the best part about being an adult. Being 30 has given me this freedom. We're now at holidays when everyone, like, kind of makes funny jokes or gets nostalgic. I don't have an issue now saying, hey, you remember that scratch on your car? I did that. That was totally me. (laughs) Shit like that. Or, oh, you remember when I had that panic attack? It was bad weed. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, 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 all that.
0: <laughs> Best part about that one is my mom knew. She's like, yeah, I could smell it. And I was like, all oh. right, thank you for never busting me.
1: <laughs> See, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I'm, I'm sure I would have caught a ration of shit if, uh, if, that had been, if that had been me and my parents.
0: See, I had a sibling who caused a lot of trouble in her life. So because I like the, the bar was set pretty low for me. It was basically like please don't get into hard drugs, don't get pregnant, don't get expelled from school. Just do your best.
1: <laughs> yeah, see, that's the that's the kind of uh that's a bar that I could clear. <laughs> that's, Same here. And that's fine.
0: <laughs> Especially like with the like don't get pregnant. I was just like, Do you think I even have a boyfriend? Like I I'm your nerdy child. <laughs> no one's going near me.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was and that was always um that was always one of those uh, those worries that, you know, my, my parents would always uh, issue these very stern warnings. I mean, not always, but from time to time whenever something else happened somewhere in their lives that made them think of this about getting someone pregnant. And I was, and I was always like, it's not like the opportunity is even there for me, so... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know. There's like, oh, if you ever need plan B pills, I'm just like, I don't even have plan A. Like, (laughs) it's not happening. But yeah, I am loving your playlist as I'm like looking through it. You know what it is? Like, God, I was about to like talk a little shit about it, but. mm. That's okay. I was just watching the documentary about Woodstock 99. Oh, really? And I'm just like, hmm, I, I can slightly see you there.
1: <laughs> I didn't make it there. I I was um, yeah. I had wanted I'd wanted to go. It was just the trip itself was just a little bit too much for me to uh, to take on at that exact moment in my life because I was in Florida again already. But yeah, it's
0: probably I've better. often
1: yeah I, I I've often thought that that I, I uh, ended up coming out ahead at least in in that uh, in that sense.
0: I mean like. You could have had that, like, sick, fucked up hope, like, oh, my God, I could have been part of history of this crazy, wild, (laughs) fucked up thing. That's how millennials are. We are like, oh, my God, we had this tragedy. We're going to own it.
1: Yeah. And for us, it's just like, yeah, it kind of sucked.
0: We love our tragedy. We love our fucked upness. We're like, hey, (laughs) 9-11, add that to the narrative.
1: Right, right. Recession,
0: pandemic, throw it all down there. We're going in history.
1: Yeah. And see, that's that's um, that's another difference, I think, between our generations is that you guys have these very well defined, um, discrete events that are the tragedies of your, you know, of, of your life or your collective life as a generation. Whereas for us, you know, we just had that ever present looming possibility of uh, instantaneous nuclear death at any moment. And so, you know, it's just it's 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 a different way to experience, I think, the same thing. So that's uh, it's it's yeah, that's interesting to me.
0: And if you want a fun generational divide, Gen Z is hoping for that nuclear death. (laughs) (laughs) They're just waiting for it with open arms.
1: I mean, it's really their least painful option at this point.
0: Yeah, it really is. Like if I were to message one of them right now, they'd be like, "That seems like the best option." Yeah,
1: yeah I, I, I do. I, f- I feel, I feel bad in a lot of ways for both millennials and Gen Z because it's, it's not like, you know, mine's, the, mine's a the small generation, but it's not like we really did a whole hell of a lot to, to fix the, uh, the fuck ups that we inherited, and it, they only got worse over time. I mean, I've got, I've got friends and and relatives who still love to do that, uh, that shit on millennials thing. Oh, so entitled, Uh, participation trophies. (laughs) And, you know, at at first, like 20 years ago, I thought it was kind of a little funny at first, but then I started paying attention to everything that's happening to you all. (laughs) No, 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 no. They had it way tougher than we did in a lot of ways. So just just fucking lighten up.
0: See, now we have the generation below us and I think everyone feels a lot more bad for them hopefully yeah. they, they have yeah. the shittier lives I think I'm not going to lie though before the pandemic I was a little jealous like a little shitty towards them because I was like motherfuckers is it just going to be us are we going to be <laughs> the only ones that had the bad life and then the pandemic hit and I was like there you go motherfuckers There you everybody go.
1: gets something yeah exactly <laughs>
0: But no, your generation gave a little bit in the early '90s. I'll give you guys gave us good music. Yeah,
1: okay, I'll 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 go with that. That that works.
0: I'd sidestep out of the late '90s, but
1: yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, once once Creed hit the scene, that's where you, you kind of have to back off.
0: Oh God, Creed! Jesus Christ!
1: <laughs> that's and you know, yeah, it's the. I don't know, for me, the fucked up thing about Creed uh, just as a band is when I was when I was in college, I I was I was uh, in Tallahassee, um, which is where Creed came from much later. And when I was there there was such a thriving music scene. People were always talking about, oh yeah, this, this place is gonna be the next Athens, it's gonna be the next Austin, which always struck me as a little bit of overhype, but there was enough going on there to, you know, to make it plausible on the, you know, on the margins at least. And then the band that makes it big from Tallahassee, like five, six years later is fucking Creed come on. There was so many, there was so many better options.
0: I would call them one hit wonders. Like I I just like can hear, like, take me higher. (laughs) God, and his vocalizations. I don't know. It's so bad.
1: (laughs) Uh, My brother and I still, we still get into discussions about Creed. He maintains that Creed was a good band other than the singer and once they got rid of once they got rid of him, uh, they took a new name, uh, Altered Bridge, I think, or something like that. And my brother feels like they uh, were a quality band, um, whereas I just I just don't see them fixing their problems with something as simple as getting rid of Scott Stapp.
0: Yeah, I can't either. I mean, Creed is Creed because of the lead <laughs> singer. He mm-hmm. he himself is Creed, just like how say like Axl Rose is Guns N' Roses. You can take them out, but it's the same.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Slash is almost as much Guns N' Roses as Axel, but those are the only two that are, strictly speaking, necessary.
0: Mm -hmm. What is your most hated band? I know this is a controversial one.
1: Oh, um, fuck. I have have answers for this.
0: (laughs) Do you have, like, a top ten list? Like, is it too hard?
1: It's no, it's it's it's, uh, of course, you know, I have the kind of brain that when I'm asked a direct question that I know the answer to, I will fumble it a lot of times. I will tell you I can tell you who I think the most overrated band is of my lifetime. I got that ready to go. All right. And and that is the Black Eyed Peas.
0: It's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of them.
1: I, yeah, I came to this conclusion when they were everywhere, I think, and I just never, ever got the appeal of any of it. So, yeah, and and, and so in the ensuing years, I haven't really, I haven't really encountered anybody who has, who's gotten that same level of hype that they had once upon a time with the same meh uh, average quality of output.
0: Yeah, that's my issue is like, I totally remember the hype. I can't remember the name of a song.
1: Yeah, see, exactly.
0: Like, I, Although- I totally remember, like, the album covers and everything. <laughs> yep,
1: yeah, I I did see on uh, our shared Apple Music account that my wife was listening to a uh, a uh, Black Eyed Peas album yesterday while she was working. I haven't said anything. I don't really know how I, I'm going to bring this subject up to her. It's very painful.
0: Ooh, that, that, that will be an interesting conversation. Let me know how that <laughs> one goes. Speaking uh, of
1: she Apple she music, tolerates though. she tolerates my uh, my insufferable music snob proclivities very well. But I'm sorry. Speaking of. Apple, Oh, music.
0: I was going to say I actually it's fine. My boyfriend actually doesn't know music that well, so I just get to dictate it.
1: Yeah, that's that's I do that a lot, too, which is pretty nice.
0: But with Apple Music, why? Why Apple Music? I'm a Spotify person, <laughs> so I need someone to sell me on it. No one's been able to give me a good reason.
1: I'm not going to be able to sell you on it either. I I have Apple Music because um, I've been in the iTunes ecosystem since like the dawn of time, I guess. I have... You know, my, my hard drive on my computer has a full month of MP3s. I've just lived this whole Apple Music thing. And and I've been buying it from I've been buying MP3s from them for so long that I still have shit that's copy protected that I can only play on iTunes, which is really um, obnoxious as hell. But I'm kind of trapped. And so we got this, you know, we got the Apple Music um, account and it com- I don't know, they gave us an offer for a, a free year of Apple TV, uh, which we grabbed. Um, so it at least balances out that way. I mean, I think it's fine. They have uh, they have almost all the things that that I want, just like Spotify has almost all the things that um that i want to listen to there's always some out of print shit here and there uh but luckily i have physical media that i still rely on so i've got cds and and vinyl records that uh, you know to take care of some of the things that um that i can't stream
0: vinyl i get cds i don't
1: a lot of people say that cds um i was i was the same way for a long time um and about i don't know 10 or 11 years ago when I was uh, finishing up graduate school, I was working in a record store at the same time, and one of my coworkers there sold me on you know CDs have basically been unfairly shat upon for a long time, <laughs> and so you know I'll walk down the street to Amoeba Music, which is this enormous um, uh, record store a couple blocks from where I live in yeah, San I've been Francisco. There. Yeah, okay. So you know I'll go in there, and yeah, they've got a shit ton of used CDs that are in great condition and are generally very cheap. So if there's something I can't find on streaming or if there's something that I just... Want to own because I'm afraid that the rights will disappear at some point, which does uh, happen from time to time with streaming music. Uh, Yeah, I'll just go there. I'll look for a CD. I still have a working CD player, although I have no idea how long that's going to last because I certainly don't know how to fix an electronic uh, circuit board or anything like that. You know, I can do some work on a turntable if I need to, some very basic work on a turntable if it breaks. But I mean, People don't even fix CD players anymore. I don't think so.
0: I would say you're don't impressed know. to find someone who could help you with CD players.
1: Yeah, it's it's a lot tougher, and I know that means it would probably be a lot more expensive. But I do like I do like the CD. I like um, you know. It, I think, yeah, I like the sound quality. I like the compactness living in this um, San Francisco apartment. I just basically throw the jewel cases away and I put the CDs in like these little tiny envelopes and then put them in a a photo box. So they take up much less space than uh, than anything else. I've got I've got a bunch of them in a a couple of boxes that I bought from Ikea. It's pretty great. So, yeah, I mean, I've always been a physical media person. I like that experience of. Um, of just listening to that discrete piece of music, that discrete, uh, that discrete, discrete suite of music, I guess an album or a CD would be more than just a single piece, mm-hmm. and I feel, you know, I feel like that's that helps pull me into what I'm listening to. That helps make me aware of, of, uh, of what I'm listening to. Whereas if I have a playlist on shuffle, it can very easily just fade into the background. And I really don't want my relationship with music to be like that.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I totally feel you. I mean, I have like a beanbag right next to my record player, and I'll just put my headphones on and just like deep dive into it, like yeah. random albums. How do you feel about tapes coming back? Like cassette tapes.
1: Yeah, I never understood the tape. Never understood that whole uh, the the love for that medium. I've you know I had a lot of cassettes. Not
0: that great.
1: It's not to me the 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 value of the cassette was its portability, and that was it. You know, we had the Walkmans, and you know, we had tape decks in our cars, and. You know, if if I wanted to take music with me and not rely on the stupid ass radio stations that were wherever I happened to be living, yeah, cassettes were great. But the sound quality was never uh, was never anything to write home about. And I don't understand this particular bit of nostalgia, but I'm not going to shit on it because, you know, it's it, it means something to somebody. It just is not something I understand.
0: I don't get it either. I mean, I have been reliant on it a couple times. Actually, my first time to San Francisco was a road trip, and the car only had uh, a tape deck. So we had Uh, to find, like, mixtapes and everything, um, (laughs) which was hard to do.
1: I think there was an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode with that as kind of a plot point. Really? I need
0: to finally watch that show. Everyone keeps talking about it.
1: It was an episode where they all finally left Philadelphia for a trip, and uh, I think D bought a car, and it only had a tape deck, so they had to find tapes at the gas station. Uh, yeah.
0: I don't think they have half-price books by you, but that's what we They have. do. See, that was the only place we could find the uh, cassette tapes. Like We had to really quickly go there and be like, okay, everybody buy one so we could actually survive the 36-hour drive.
1: <laughs> yeah we have one of those in uh in berkeley or at least we did i think it's i have no reason to believe it's not still there but you know things change
0: oh yeah definitely do a lot faster over in california it seems like things are like closing and opening and everything
1: yeah and you know burning down
0: oh yeah that too jesus yeah. christ how's the wildfires on your end <laughs>
1: I mean, they never get close to the city, but uh, I mean, yesterday we, we had some weird looking skies. I mean, it wasn't anything like last year with the the wildfires last year. There's a picture on my Instagram that I took out the window, didn't put any filters on it, and it looks like Mars. I mean, it's just the, the sky is just such a deep Uh, evil looking orange it's it's just it's just awful so they've been talking about how this year's wildfire season is going to be at least as bad and maybe it has been I don't really know because and you know I can only judge by how it affects my specific local environment and San Francisco's climate is just uh, it's just so protected from everything else by mysterious forces so a lot of times you know I don't even notice the stuff
0: is there any more post-apocalyptic phrase other than this wildfire season?
1: <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean,
0: we're in the end times. We're there. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, we had I know a
0: tornado that, that actually touched down in the city here. Oh shit! Yeah, I didn't even think that shit was possible. I think the whole city didn't think it. Then we we're like, oh shit, it's here. <laughs>
1: Oh no, I've I, I don't think I've ever heard of that. Uh, I always I always associated those with, uh, you know, with wide open prairie spaces.
0: They'll hit the suburbs, you know, a lot. Oh sure, sure. Not sure. that often, but yeah, like I will say, like a roof came off a bar or two, and everything. Like when oh, the tornado man. sirens came over here, we were like, "That's a new noise."
1: <laughs> yeah, we had. I mean, there's. Yeah, I remember the tornado sirens from growing up in Michigan, but um, I don't think I ever saw a tornado there. I saw a couple in Florida, but they were on the water.
0: Ooh, that actually sounds really trippy. I'd like to see that. See, in Illinois, we love when the tornado siren goes off because in the suburbs, we'd all go outside to see. (laughs) Yeah, that's the Illinois perspective. I don't know if anyone else does it, but we hear the siren, we're like, oh, let's go check it out.
1: I just remember my dad uh, hustling us down into the basement, and for some reason he had this vintage World War II army helmet—I mean, like a steel one—and so you know he gave that one to my mom, uh, and we just were all sitting there waiting for the tornado to go by. I I didn't never saw it, never saw any damage from it, but I guess it was uh, close enough to scare the hell out of him.
0: See, my dad—he would try to get us into the basement, but. Yep, me and the sister who caused me to have the really low bar (laughs) were, like, outside. And he'd be like, get your asses inside. She's smoking a cigarette. I'm taking a picture on my phone. I'm just like, this is some interesting shit. He's just like, where's your brother? We're like, oh, I think he's swimming somewhere. (laughs) And, And that's how we handle shit in the Chicagoland area. We're just like, what? This just looks cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get it, I get it. I was just in Chicago a few weeks ago.
0: Oh yeah, so,
1: yeah, that's where my wife is from. So, or, well, she's from the suburbs, not the city itself. But uh, yeah, Which so suburb? we're. Um, I think she claims Schaumburg.
0: Oh, what's up? I love Schaumburg. What'd All right, mall? cool.
1: I will. I'll see if that rings a bell.
0: <laughs> it's like the only really big mall in this area.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: But yeah. Go off they, on your Chicago
1: adventure. Oh no, I I, I I love Chicago. I every time we every time we go back to visit her family, I always I always dig it, but I always have to make sure that we get to spend some time in the city because her family doesn't live uh, obviously in the city. Um, I mean, they're they're not against the city, but you know, it's when you're in when you live in the suburbs, it's often easy just. Not to go that far, and mm-hmm. so sometimes they don't. So yeah, I always I always just remind people. Yeah, I I uh, really like to get in the city while I'm here, and you know we always make that happen. So yeah, this last time I went to my first uh, game at Wrigley Field, and that was quite an experience.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Wrigley Field is a very or just Wrigleyville in general is a very different vibe than what it was when I was growing up. It's That's what I've really heard. Built up, yeah. Like, majority of the shit you probably saw wasn't even there. Like, I used to live in Wrigleyville, like, right by the field. And, yeah, it's a different kind of vibe there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it reminded me a lot of um, of a lot of, the I guess, the neighborhood around the Giants Stadium here in, uh, in San Francisco. So I guess it's probably some of the same forces at work.
0: Mm-hmm. It used to be fun because um, basically where I lived, I was... Smack dab in the middle of Wrigleyville, which was just this one strip, and then Boys Town, which was the gay area of right. Chicago. But basically, Wrigleyville extended all the way past that into Boys Town, so there really isn't a Boys Town anymore. And it's just all like giant hotels and very big bars and everything, like sports bars, where yeah. it used to be a lot more like local niche stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that, uh, that prototypical Chicago bar that just has that old style sign hanging over the door on the corner, you know, on the corner of a building or something.
0: That is the Chicago beer.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love those places. Those those are always my favorite places to go in Chicago. Those uh, those little neighborhood bars.
0: That get some pizza, chill out. That's mm-hmm. what we would do for pre gaming before we'd go to like Wrigley Field. There okay. you go. I'm trying to like think of like cool Chicago shit. My whole book I just wrote was about Chicago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the only living girl in Chicago, I believe it's called.
0: Yep. And every day I've been doing a Chicago fun fact. I don't think I've done anything about Wrigley though. Hmm. Well, all right. How'd you like it though? Was it a good game?
1: Yeah, it was, it was great. They were playing San Diego, and the Cubs won, which helped the Giants, so I was in favor of that.
0: Hmm. I know nothing about baseball other than <laughs> I like the Cubs, and it's mainly to piss off my dad who likes the Sox. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, I, I've, I've heard that uh, Chicago's one of those places where, with the two teams where that rivalry becomes uh, a very touchy thing.
0: Yeah, they have the cross-town rivalry where they actually play each other. And, yeah, extra police all of, always have to be by the actual, like, L stations oh, wow. and everything. It's actually really amusing to see how drunk some people are willing to get and if they will actually get <laughs> in, like, fistfights. And it's like, damn, you really need to
1: Yeah for I, the team. I I just I don't understand that level of identifying with a professional sports franchise that doesn't give a shit if you live or die.
0: And they're constantly trading players and everything. So really, what are you rooting for other than just the colors, the name?
1: Yeah, you're rooting. I mean, that's another thing Jerry Seinfeld said in one of his uh, stand-ups is, yeah, you're basically just rooting for the laundry.
0: Really? Yeah, Yeah. basically. Because I I don't think I can name like a single player that actually hasn't played for another team. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm 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 kind of out of it myself. I used to follow it a lot more closely, um, but uh, yeah, since you know we don't have we don't have cable, so I don't really get to watch uh, a lot I of uh, yeah, so i don't really get to watch a lot of games i could make it happen but i'd have to either pay for you know a specific streaming service or i'd have to you know try to get one of those um those sketchy free streams uh those, those kind of websites and i've tried i've tried those and man they are they are iffy so i try to avoid that it's just not worth it
0: the only time i really really watched like live baseball was when the Cubs are in the World Series.
1: Yeah, I remember that.
0: And the only way we were able to really watch it was by going to the bars, and that was intense, <laughs> fun, but intense.
1: Oh yeah, I bet. Yeah, I guess we must have we must have ordered a streaming service for that because we did watch that. You know, obviously since uh, you know my wife from Chicago, um, I remember watching that, and I remember not being able to decide which team I wanted to win, not because I liked them both, but because I disliked them both.
0: <laughs> That's so cold.
1: Yeah, 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 it, it is. I, I eventually, you know, for the sake of uh, harmony with the in-laws, I eventually, you know, sided with the Cubs, so. I
0: dig it, I dig it. So, do you want to do a reading?
1: Uh, Yeah, I, yeah, what I'm going to read, this is a, a story that is uh, it's in the story collection that I have been trying to find a home for for the last little while. Um, it's called Headbangers Ball, and I'll read, I don't know, the first few pages. Say what you will about the devil, but I have to hand it to him. Bezelbub knows how to stock a record store right. The one at the mall had newer stuff, was twice the size, and had a modern ventilation system that kept it from smelling like sour armpit and stale farts. But the devil was aiming for more of a niche market. Limited pressings from Denmark and Finland by bands whose names I couldn't even begin to pronounce. Framed collectibles and rarities covering almost every square inch of the faux wood rec room paneling. How much for that one, we'd ask and point. How much? Every time the devil craned his neck around slowly to look at whatever we just expressed an interest in, giving it the critical eyeballing of an experienced appraiser before turning back to face but not quite look at us. Then he'd quote us some ridiculous amount, which made no sense because nobody who had that kind of money to drop on signed publicity stills or framed backstage passes from Pink Floyd's last ever show would even think to look for those things in a dump like this. And of course, it was the one thing in the whole store that didn't even have a price that had Clay's undivided attention from day one. That Kiss poster pinned up directly behind the register. It was the one that came with their unmasked album, which we both agreed was their second worst record to date. So if you could get the poster without having to buy the album, you'd actually be coming out ahead. The poster was a stylized cartoon that showed all four band members removing full face Harlequin style masks, only to reveal their actual faces are identical to the masks that had hidden them. They were, and always had been, exactly the freaks they appeared to be. What you see is what you get. The devil had ruined it by poking thumbtacks through the corners, and who knows how many years of smoke exposure had tinged the once crisp whites a sickly yellow but it was autographed by all four original band members in fat silver sharpie and in my book that more than made up for the damage. How much for the kiss poster, Clay would ask every single time we were in there. I'll never let that one go, the devil would say between drags, peering at us over his wire-rimmed glasses. Collector's item, can't get those anymore. Well, you can if you conjure it, And we knew he could because we once saw him conjure up six breakfast burritos right in front of us. One minute there's nothing on the counter, then poof, a crisp white bag of tortillas tortillas and eggs, steam and grease. I had my back turned, but Clay, my only friend and fellow untouchable in our high school's heartless caste system swore by it. He had grown up churched, but now only wore black t-shirts emblazoned with umlauts. Clay knew things. He knew about the ancient astronauts and time travel and what really happened to Atlantis. He knew the best ways to sober up quick before going home after a keg party. He knew how to make even the meanest junkyard dog lie down in front of you and lick your feet. He knew the best place to hit a guy if you wanted him to hit the floor fast, and the right way to touch a girl if you wanted to make her forget the promises she made to herself. Trust me, he said later, this all makes perfect sense. The best disguise is one nobody expects. The devil knows that better than anyone. I shrugged. So I guess this is what we're doing this summer, I thought. Another inside joke in the making, another hilarious story to tell each other while we pass his father's vodka bottle back and forth, a story that gets bigger and funnier with each retelling, even though we both know the real version. Sure, why not? What else was there to do? It was a couple of weeks after we first found Joe Devil's place that Clay started to dig the hole in the backyard. He'd wait to do his work until the sun was soft and low in the sky and the air was thick with moisture when there was never any wind. He'd work without a shirt and I'd see the muscles in his back and shoulders constrict and extend, pulling and relaxing in tandem as he planted the shovel over and over. I didn't have muscles like that. Maybe I should dig my own hole, I thought more than once. My house didn't have a big backyard like Clay's, and I wondered if my parents might actually noticed uh, if I carved out a giant open pit right next to the front door. Evenings were for digging, but our days were mostly occupied with robbing the devil blind. The way our little scam worked was this. Clay would distract him at the counter by pretending to want to sell him a stack of worthless records, while I'd pluck albums out of the bins and peel off the price tags, which was easy enough because he used the cheap kind without much glue on the back. Then we would sell his own stock back to him. Check these out, Clay would say, positioning himself between me and the devil. Every time, the same routine. Pass, the devil would say as he flipped each record aside. The word not spoken so much as simply allowed to fall out of his mouth and plonk onto the counter. What, seriously? Dude, it's in mint condition. Look at the jacket, the corners are still pointy. Dude, exhale, smoke. It's a fucking Debbie Boone record, and it's warped. Pass. The smoke. He was always smoking something, either menthols or something else, something sweeter and heavier. The smoke swirling around him made the stool he was perched on look like it was teetering on the edge of a fissure to hell, a crack in the earth through which we could see the demons and damned at the center of the world if only we could get behind that counter. You always bring me better stuff than your friend, the devil would say to me. I'll give you... Eight and a quarter for the lot. That's how he always talked. Eight and a quarter, five and two quarters, seven and a dime, a nickel, and three Indian head pennies. It's how we knew he wasn't what he pretended to be. Normal people with nothing to hide don't talk like that. Sometimes we kept the records we stole from him, but usually we didn't. We would almost always take whatever cash he offered us instead. In that way, the devil ended up buying most of our cigarettes that summer. And I'll stop there.
0: I dig it.
1: That cool, is definitely you. really great. Thank you.
0: I want to clap, but I think that'd be bad for audio. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was really great. Do you want to plug anything before we go?
1: Well, sure. I've got um, my novel coming out with uh, Woodhall Press. The novel is called How I'm Spending My Afterlife. And it will be available September 7th. Um, you can... Find me on Twitter at Spencer Flurry. I'm on Instagram at Spencer's Boring Picks, all one word, and that's Pics with an X. And like every other author uh, these days, I have recently started a Substack newsletter. at SpencerFlurry.substack.com. It's free. It will always be free. I don't really have a lot to say that's worth charging for, so that's just how it goes. And it's only once a month, so nobody gets sick of me. But that's about it.
0: I dig it. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for your hospitality. I've had a really good time talking to you.
0: Thanks. It's been fun having you too. All right. That was Spencer Fleury, everybody. I recommend checking out his book, How I'm Spending My Afterlife, from Woodhall Press. If you want to find him on Twitter, his username is pretty common sense at spencerfleury, And he has a website that displays all of his work, www.spencerflurry.com. Shocker, right? As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter, at PodHealing, and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. We are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, please leave us a review, a rating, whatever. Just check out our past episodes and keep a lookout for the new ones. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show.